Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you once again. I appreciate the opportunity and Pastor Noel asking me to come and share in the pulpit today. So if you have your Bibles with you, I invite your attention to the book of Daniel. We're going to be focusing on two chapters today, chapter six, but I want to begin with chapter one. And uh, you need your bulletin here for the beginning of the message. So if you would please have your bulletin out as well. The title of the message, as you can see on your bulletin, is entitled Integrity, Don't Leave Home Without It. And by that, of course, I mean as you are at home and it's Monday morning and you are going out to work or wherever you're going, that you know that you need to be properly dressed and ready for the day. And I think that integrity is one of the most important things that an individual could be dressed with, whether it's outwardly or inwardly, both of them are important. And so one should always be ready for the day filled with integrity for whatever God has in store for him or her on that day. But you'll notice on the beginning uh, notes of your outline, the expression which says integrity is deciding to integrate my heart's values into my daily actions. Now the word integrity means a rigid adherence to a code or standard of values. So you adhere to that standard of values or to the code that you have adopted to follow. But notice something else, the word synonyms there. The word integrity can also be described and defined as wholeness, honesty, truthfulness, faithfulness, sincerity, uprightness, soundness, completeness, a condition of being whole or undivided. If you would, you still have your bulletin there, circle the word deciding. Integrity is deciding. So we do not slip into integrity. We don't just wake up some morning and decide, well, you know, I'm gonna uh, slip into integrity. We don't accidentally one day discover that we have it. Integrity begins with a decision. You make the decision to fill your life full of integrity. You make the decision that you're going to be an honest person, that you're going to be dependable on those who trust you, and that you live an upright, solid life for the Lord. So it's a decision that you must make. Notice also the word integrate. The word integrity and the word integrate are related. The first six letters of the word integrate are the same first six letters of the word integrity. So integrity comes from the word of integrate. The word integrate means that you take all of the different parts and put them all together and make it a whole. So you take every part of your life, your thoughts, your motives, your incentives, the way you talk, the way you think, the way you walk, the way you work, everything that you do, you pull it all together in the theme of integrity. Notice also the words heart's values, circle the words heart's values. Now the heart in the Bible, doesn't always refer to the physical muscle that's in your body that pumps the blood around your, your limbs. The word heart in the Bible is many times used as the basic inner core 
uh, of a human being. It's, it's what makes you you. It's all of your emotions, all of your, your, your thoughts and, and actions and everything all rolled up into one. And, and it's your heart. It's the core of your being. So integrity is making the decision that you will take all of your values in your life and roll them up into this idea of integrity and truthfulness. And then the words daily actions, daily actions. The word daily is perhaps the severest test of the Christian character. Life is so daily. And every single day, there are no exceptions to this. There are no days off when it comes to integrity on your daily life, in your daily living. You are to be a person of integrity, a person who is whole in his being, a person who is sincere and faithful, somebody who can depend on you. So it, it's a challenge that we have in facing the world. Now, God places a very high value on integrity. Here are a couple of verses that you don't have on your outline, but they are important. Proverbs 28, 6. Proverbs 28, 6 says, Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than he who is crooked, though he be rich. So you're better off if you are an individual who will walk in integrity. The word walk there doesn't necessarily mean your physical activity. The word walk means how you live your life. It's how you behave and how you act. And a person who will behave and act in integrity, then he is better off than a person who is rich, although he is crooked in the way he lives. A second verse of scripture is 1 Chronicles 29, 17. 1 Chronicles 29, 17 says, I know, my God, that you examine our hearts and rejoice when you find integrity. So God knows us through and through. He searches our innermost being. And the Bible says, who can know the, the heart? Well, the Bible answers it for us. God says, I know it. I know the heart. So God knows the inner part of you. And when he looks into your heart, you know, the psalmist said, search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the, right, in the path of righteousness, which is another synonym for integrity. So God searches the heart. You and I may fool one another by our outward behavior, by what we say and what we do, but we cannot see our motive unless we see it in the way we talk and do. But God sees everything and he sees the innermost part of our being. And when God looks into our hearts and he finds integrity there, it pleases him. It causes him to rejoice. Dr. Madison Surratt taught mathematics at Vanderbilt for many years. Before giving a test, he would put things in perspective for his students by admonishing his class with these words. Today, I'm giving you two examinations, one in trigonometry and the other in honesty. I hope you will pass them both. But if you must fail one, fail trigonometry. There are many good people in the world who cannot pass trigonometry, but there are no good people in the world who cannot pass the examination of honesty. So every day we have a test that's going on in our lives. 
The story of Daniel in the lion's den is one of the best known and best loved stories in all the Bible. Little children love it. Sunday school teachers enjoy telling it. The story is filled with unexpected twists and turns. The good guy wins and the bad guys, well, they get torn up and chewed to pieces. Along the way, we learn the secret of Daniel's success. Somehow, Daniel managed to survive and thrive in a spiritually hostile environment. It seems like every time we read about Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're going from the frying pan into the lion's den. Somebody's always trying to either heat them up or eat them up. It's sad to say that many Christians today never have to worry about either the fiery furnace or the lion's den. Not because fiery furnaces and lion's dens are not around, but because of what you have to do to get into one of them. We Christians live in a world of spiritual hostility where the temptation to compromise our faith is with us every single day we live. The world doesn't want its uh, conscience pricked and doesn't reward those who dare to stand up for what is true and integrity. Most Christians today go along in order to get along, but not Daniel. Daniel knew how to sleep with the lions without getting eaten up. In fact, it has been said that Daniel was the first lion tamer in history. There are three basic things that I want us to look at as we think about Daniel. And the first one is to look at his character, how he displayed that. Secondly, the command that Daniel was willing and purposely defied. And then finally, the conduct or the convictions that Daniel demonstrated. So let's look at, first of all, the character that Daniel displayed. And I want to begin in chapter one of the book of Daniel. So just keep your place there at chapter 6 and open your Bibles to the first chapter of the book of Daniels, Daniel. And, and while you're doing that, let me share another illustration with you about the Dallas Cowboys. Talk about the need for integrity. I don't. But I, I discovered something unusual. I, I have a Zig Ziglar. The late Zig Ziglar was a motivational speaker and trained people how to you know, be motivated and get excited and be positive in the way that you live. He published a lot of books. One of the books that he published is entitled Raising Positive Kids in the Negative World. And in that book, this is what he says. When the Dallas Cowboy organization was being formed, the managers of the team took an unusual approach. Instead of visiting successful football teams to find out how they did things, they went to the boardrooms of General Motors, IBM, Exxon, uh, Xerox, excuse me, and other large corporations, and they asked the executives what they looked for in their leaders. And without exception, the most outstanding and successful people in our country said that they looked for character, for the integrity of the individual. They thought that was the single most important thing that they looked for when they turned to somebody to run their organization. 
And I think that is true of all true organizations in our society, that we want somebody to run our organizations and even our churches, if you please, who are people of integrity, people that we can trust, people that we can depend on, people who will be honest in what they say and in what they do and who they are. And so Daniel just didn't wake up one morning and decided he was going to be a person of integrity, you have to go all the way back to the beginning of the book to discover that from the very beginning, it was his intent to be a person of integrity. So looking at the book of Daniel chapter one, there are several things that I want to point out to you as we work our way through it. First of all, if you will look at chapter one and verse three, then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles. So Daniel, as we shall see later in the scriptures, was among those individuals who were chosen because they, uh, he was a person of nobility and evidently a very smart and intelligent individual. Look at verse four. Youths in whom was no defect. Now the word youths, uh, can usually refer to a, a person in his teens. He was a teenager. And so it is believed that, uh, that Daniel, at the beginning of the book of, first da of Daniel chapter 1, was a teenager, maybe around 12, 13, 14, maybe 15 years old. He, he, he was among the young people in whom was no defect. There was nothing physically defective or anything about his phys physical being. Good looking, he was a handsome man, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge and who had the ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him, that is, the king did, ordered uh, Ashraphaz to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank and appointed that they should be educated three years at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. So it was king's desire to change these individuals and he tried to do it in three ways. First of all, by changing their thinking, the way they thought. And he, and he attempted to do this by instructing their overseer to, to give them a Babylonian education because they were Jews and they had to be trained in the Jewish culture and language and religion. So in order to change them, he had to change their education. And so he gave instructions in verse four. He said, teach them, teach them. Their aptitude, their quickness in learning and understanding, their intelligence, they were able to learn and develop skills or acquire knowledge. And the education would include the learning of a new language. They had to speak Aramaic. They had spoken Hebrew, and so now they had to change languages. They had to learn a new language. They studied math mathematics, astronomy, history, science, magic. He tried to change the way they thought by changing their education. I think that's happening today. It's been going on for a long time that, that we're changing. You know, no, no longer can you use a Bible in school. I remember when I was a kid, it wasn't, wasn't that long ago, but <laughs> yeah, it was not 
thought of a terrible thing to take the Bible out at the beginning of a school day and read a verse of scripture and have a prayer. I even remember when the principal would come over the intercom and have a prayer for the day. Say the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag and then say a prayer and then begin the work. Why you can't even say a prayer at the ball game anymore. I like the way the band does it though. There's, in this place there's a sweet, sweet spirit. <laughs> they got around that one. <laughs> but it's changing. The society of the culture in which we, we're living changes because of our education system. In 1789, when George Washington took his oath of office as the first president of the United States of America, he got a Masonic Bible from the local Masonic Lodge, placed his hand on it, raised his right hand, and gave the, his oath of office. And when he got through, he reached over and kissed it. And uh, that's not in the Constitution or in the bylaws. There's nothing in all that says you have to do that. And yet he started it, and there are many others who have done it also. I also know, I can't call the names of them right now, but there are two people that uh, I guess they're still serving in Congress or the House of Representatives who took their oath of office with their hand on a Koran. Now, it's not required to have a Bible or a Koran or anything else, but you know, if, if I place my hand on a book and swear by it, what I'm saying in essence is I believe the content of that book. And I speak my word of truth based on the authority of the book on which I hold my hand. Well, if you put your hand on the Koran and swear an oath to follow it, then you, 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 you can be killed because uh, the Islamic faith says that everybody who's not an Islamic individual is an infidel. And what does the Koran say? Kill the infidel. So, they're serving there, but that's what they believe. So times have changed. So he tried to change them by the way they thought. They tried to change them by their loyalty, changing the names by which they would go. We're told in the first chapter of uh, the book of Daniel in verse 7, the names of the individuals and how those names were changed. Daniel means God is my judge. Belteshazzar uh, means uh, Baal or Marduk. He was a pagan god. So Daniel's name was changed to Belteshazzar. Hananiah means the Lord is gracious and his name was changed to Shadrach, which means under the pagan god of Aq, who is the moon god. Mishael means the one who is like God, and his name was changed to Meshach, which means one who is like the moon God. Azurias means the Lord is my helper, and his name was changed to Abednego, which means the servant of the pagan god Nebo. So he changed their thinking and wanted the loyalty to be changed too by changing their names. You're no longer called by a Hebrew name or a Christian name now. It's a pagan name. So he tried to change them by their thinking and their loyalty and then their lifestyle. If you look down in verse 8, 
Well, actually in verse, uh, verse 5, it says that the king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank and appointed that they should be educated three years at the end of which they would be able to enter the, the king's personal service. So their lifestyle was changed by changing their diet. These were Hebrew people, Jewish individuals, and uh, yet the king's diet consisted of uh, meat and uh, other items that uh, uh, were not in keeping with the Jewish diet. And, uh, you know, one thing, we don't have the time, because I've got a lot more things to say. I don't want to keep dwelling on all of this. But Daniel, when, when he decided, if you look at verse 8, here, here verse, this is what I'm trying to get to, talking about making a decision to be a person of integrity. Verse 8 says, but Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank, so he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. So he didn't rebel. He didn't start opposition. He just asked for permission. He made an appeal to the official. And the, the official at first was reluctant to do so because if he allowed them to do it and then it didn't turn out the way the king wanted them to, he could lose his life too. But Daniel was very smart. And he asked, he, he asked for permission. Let us have a different diet than what the king is prescribing and give us a 10-day trial period. And if we're not better off after 10 days of eating our, by our diet, by the diet that the king is proposing, then we'll do that. But then if you go on and read in the first chapter of Daniel, it says that after 10 days of the kind of diet that Daniel was recommending, they were better off clearer in their thinking and in their actions than those who had taken the king's diet. So he made up his mind a long time before you ever get to chapter six that he was going to do what pleased God and he was going to stay by that. He was resolved to do that. And consequently, God blessed him. God blessed him. Look at it, chapter one and verse nine. And God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And look at verse 17 in chapter one. As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. So Daniel resolved, made up his mind, made a decision. I want to live according to God's principles, laws, and behave like the child God wants me to be. And because he made that decision, God honored him. God granted him wisdom. And you read on in the rest of the book, there are several visions that the different kings had and all of them turned to Daniel for an interpretation of it and God gave him the wisdom to understand the visions and accurately interpret them, honoring his desire and decision to love God and to live by his principles. Now, if you would please go to chapter six that I've tried to lay the foundation that when you come to chapter six and, and Daniel uh, ignores the decree of the king, uh, it wasn't something that he had decided to do on the spur of the moment. This is something that he had decided years before when as a teenager and maybe even before then, 
that he was going to follow God's laws and he was going to be a person of integrity. So when it came time to decide whether or not he was going to continue praying or not, it had already been made. He had already made up his mind what he was going to do. He was going to serve the Lord. So in Daniel chapter 6, Daniel had been an extremely valuable man in the former kingdom and Darius discovered this for he lost no time in appointing Daniel to be the chief of all the ambassadors. You know, even unbelievers are careful to choose honest men to carry on their business. So Daniel was said in the preeminent place. Why? Well, look at chapter 6 and verse 2. Verse 1 says, It seemed good to Darius to appoint the satraps, or governors, over the kingdom, and they would be in charge of the whole kingdom. There were 120 of them provinces in the kingdom, and he appointed 120 governors or satraps to oversee those. But then over the 120 satraps or governors, he appointed three commissioners of whom Daniel was one, that these satraps might be accountable to them, that the governors would be accountable to Daniel and these others, and that the king might not suffer loss. Now, what, what did it mean by not suffering loss? Well, evidently, the 120 satraps were tempted to steal from him. You ever know of an individual who steals from the company? Walks out the door, things in his pocket or puts them in his car that shouldn't be. He's stealing from them. And so evidently these people, they were just stealing the king blind. And he needed to put somebody over them that he could trust and, and, and make sure that he doesn't lose these things. That's what it means there. So that they might not, the king might not suffer loss. So in verse 3, we discover that Daniel was very fervent in his attitude. Look at verse 3, chapter 6, verse 3. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. So Daniel was demonstrating his ability to supervise and to be in charge and he began to distinguish himself among these other individuals. And uh, it was apparent that he was a capable, trustworthy individual. And he was fervent. I mean, he, he got serious about this and zealous in overseeing his responsibilities. He was fervent in his attitude. He was faithful in his assignment. Look at verse 4, chapter 6. Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs. They started looking for, they didn't like Daniel, they hated Daniel because he was a person of integrity. And so they began to try to find some fault with him. And where did they begin? Well, he was the supervisor. He was in charge of watching over everything in the area of business. Let's see if we could find a flaw there. And so they found in regard to governmental affairs, but they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption in as much as he was faithful. Faithful, there's that word, integrity. He was faithful. He was a man of integrity. He had been given an assignment and although he was living in a pagan society, he was going to be faithful to the assignment that had been entrusted to him. And then the third thing was he was faultless in his actions. Because in the latter part of verse 4, it says, and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Now, you have to remember that Daniel and his three friends are living in a pagan society. 
And they would have had no problems whatsoever living an immoral life or a dishonest life. In fact, that was part of the problems. People were stealing from the king. And yet it says in him, there was no corruption in him. He was solid, pure, trustworthy, and faithful to the very core of his total being. Total being. Faithful in his assignment and faultless in his actions. No negligence or corruption was found in him. So that was his character. Notice a command. A command that was issued by the king that Daniel defied. Now, the story of Daniel and the lion's den reminds us that there is a spiritual battle going on in the world all around us. The devil himself, we are told, is like a roaring lion going about seeking whom he may devour. Therefore, it should not surprise us if the devil has an army of supporters whose major call in life is to harass us, trick us, and trip us up if they can. Daniel must have been a good man because he had the right kind of enemies. He was considered a foreigner by them. He was honest. They didn't like him. You'll notice in chapter six in verse three that they refer to Daniel as this Daniel. And when you use the word this before a person's name, it shows discourtesy. They don't even think enough of him to Daniel. No, it's this Daniel, this Daniel. He does it again in verse five. Then these men said, we will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel. They didn't care for him. They hated him. They were jealous of him. They went after his faith because they couldn't find any fault with him in any other way. And they had no answer for what he believed. They did everything they could to find dirt on Daniel, but they came up with nothing. Daniel's character was spotless. They dogged him, they followed him, they pounded him out of envy. Their hearts were burning with rage and still they found nothing. When they finally mustered enough courage to go to the king, they went to him with two attitudes. First of all, they lied. They lied because you'll find in the passage of scripture, verse 24, chapter six and verse 24. The king then gave orders and they brought those men who had maliciously accused Daniel. Uh, That term maliciously accused, the Hebrew word refers to uh, tearing a person apart verbally. You ever get dressed down by individual? I mean, by the time they got through cussing you out or, or using things that just belittled you, you just felt like a worm, you wanted to crawl away. They chew you up. I find it ironic that the very people who chewed Daniel up with their words were chewed up by the lions. (laughs) Yeah. So they lied to the king. They said to the king that all of the rulers of the kingdom had decided upon a certain course of action. That was a lie. Because Daniel was the chief leader. They didn't consult him. He didn't even know what was going on. He didn't know what they were doing. And so when they said to the king, hey, we all got together and we decided this is what we, you need to do, they didn't include Daniel. So they lied. And then they flattered the king. They called him God in essence. They said, oh, you, you need to be worshiped and, 
and you need to make a decree and you, you set aside the next 30 days that if anybody's going to pray or anybody's going to worship, they need to bow down to the statue that has been made in your image. And if anybody doesn't bow down and pray to that image and to you, you old king, you God, then they ought to be put to death. And they flattered him. They flattered him to get him to come up with this plan. They got him to sign a decree that for the next 30 days, no one in the kingdom would pray to any God or person except him. Oh, king, you're the most deserving person in all the wide world. Someone has said flattery is like soap. And soap is probably 95% lie. You need to remember two things about Daniel. When you begin in chapter one of Daniel, and by the time you get to channel, uh, ch chapter six, Daniel has become an old man. He's a teenager, maybe 15 years old in chapter one. But now in chapter six, he's about 80 years old. 80 years old. And uh, he, he has been serving the king as best he can for all of these years. And they tried to find a fault in him, but they couldn't. So they turned on him in his religion. Horace Greenlee had a saying that Harry Truman liked to quote. It was, fame is a vapor, popularity an accident, riches take wings, but those who cheer today may curse you tomorrow. And there's only one thing that endures, character character. So Daniel was hated because he was successful. Daniel was hated because he was a person of integrity. Now suppose your enemy, maybe you, maybe you have an enemy. I don't, I think we all sometime or another in our lifetime have enemies. Suppose you had an enemy who decided to check you out, to check out the way the governors checked out on Daniel. Suppose someone hired a private investigator to look into every aspect of your life, public, private, past, and present. What would they uncover? Suppose they checked out your high school and college records. Suppose they checked out how you treat your children or how you treat your spouse or your fellow telephone calls or your shopping habits or the, the internet usage your financial records, your favorite television programs, what you do on your vacation, the, the, uh, every relationship that you have, your tax returns, every corner of your bedroom, your business deals, your police record, how you act on the job, how you deal with the opposite sex, your vocabulary at home, the jokes you tell, the places you visit. Could any of us survive that kind of scrutiny? Daniel did. The investigation revealed that he had no obvious moral weakness. He was a person of integrity. He, the only flaw that he had, if you would call that, is that he prayed all the time. He prayed. He was utterly predictable in his daily prayers. He prayed every day at the same time in the same way. You've probably heard this question. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Well, the governors 
asked Darius to pass a 30-day law forbidding anyone to pray. And Darius signed it, not knowing that it could not be repealed, knowing that it could not be repealed. Not, he couldn't even repeal it himself. They knew that Daniel would break the law by keeping on praying, and Daniel was a victim of his own integrity. Did you catch that? Daniel was a victim of his own integrity. He was predictably faithful to God. His troubles came not from his weakness, but from his strength. So what do you do when you discover that your enemies have passed a law against you and it's aimed at one person? You. You. It's like walking around with a bullseye on your back. How you respond at that point tells a great deal about your character. And so Daniel responded in these two ways. He continued to pray and he continued to trust God. When Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem and three times a day, he got down on his hands and his knees and prayed. Look at verse 10, chapter six and verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now, in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before God as he had been doing previously. So, his going to his room and opening the windows toward Jerusalem and getting on his hands and knees in bread was not a knee-jerk reaction to the decree that the king had signed. He was simply continuing to do what he had been doing for all of those years. He wasn't mad at the king. He wasn't trying to destroy everything. He was just doing what he'd always done. Nothing changed. In Psalm 55, 17, the Bible says, evening and morning and at noon, I will pray and cry aloud and God shall hear my voice. He was just doing what had been taught from the Psalms. Now I did a little mathematics and anytime I do mathematics, you know, figures don't lie, but liars figure. So notice if, if Daniel is 85 years old, when you come to chapter six and he prayed for 85 years, three times a day, how many prayers would he have said? Well, if my mathematics is correct, 93,075 prayers. How many prayers have you prayed? An 85-year-old habit is hard to break. Now, the people in the balcony, the people here, and the people down in the dungeon area, our, our lower basement Baptist. I would say maybe positive figure, 600 people here today, counting the choir and everybody. If all 600 people who are here today, all of you, would agree to pray for this church three times a day, there would be approximately 657,000 prayers expressed in one year. 657,000 times 85 years is 55,845,000 prayers that would be prayed by the people of this church if we would all agree just three times a day for as long as I live, I'm going to pray for this church, pray for its leaders, pray that God will bless this church, pray that God will bless this community through the gospel that we hold up. 
Daniel had made up his mind long before now to serve God no matter what. Someone remarked that Daniel's bedroom was the real lion's den. That's where the battle was fought and won. By committing himself to continuing in prayer, he won the only battle that really mattered. And when he won the battle in the bedroom, the real lions were no problem at all. Now, we think the miracle was that God survived a night with the lions, and that's true. It was a miracle. But the greatest miracle was that he continued to pray when his life was on the line. So what do you do when people call the lions on you? Well, you don't change a thing. You keep on serving the Lord and you keep on doing what's right and you keep on living for Jesus and you let the chips fall where they may. Not only did he continue to pray, he continued to trust God. Look at verse 10, the latter part of verse 10. It says, he, he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks to God as he had been doing previously. And look at verse 23, chapter six and verse 23. Then the king was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatsoever was found on him because he had trusted in his God. There wasn't a hair on his head that was... There was no scar or scrape on his skin. He was completely protected and preserved throughout the entire night. Why? Because he had put his trust in God. In God. So, when some people say, well, the old lions, they were probably old and their teeth were rotten. They, just, they, they probably just tried to gum him to death. No. And the reason why I know that, because in the same pit in which they had cast Daniel... And then after the night was over, pulled him out of it. The king took his enemies who had maliciously teared him apart with their words, threw him into the pit. And before they could get through the open door, they were devoured by the lions. So the lions were in good health. It also says uh, in verse 22, I believe it is, of chapter 6, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me inasmuch as I have found innocence before him and also toward you, O king, I have committed no wrong. God sent an angel. I've often wondered who that angel was. You know, I, and I have no way of proving this is just a sanctified imagination, my humble but accurate opinion. I think it was Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ. He made other appearances. Remember old Jacob wrestled with an angel? I think that was the Lord. And it, I don't know. I can't prove And I wonder. He said that the Lord sent an angel to stop the mouths of the lions. I wonder if he stayed long enough to talk to Daniel. Wouldn't that have been great? Wouldn't you like to be visited by an angel? By the Lord? When you're going through a tough time, People dislike you. You live in a hostile world. People can't stand you. Be encouraged by the Lord. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. 
Verse 20, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you constantly serve been able to deliver you? Oh, yes, he has. He has. Well, my time is up, so let me quickly look at the summary for modern day Daniels. First of all, it is possible to live a life of integrity in the midst of a thoroughly pagan world, and Daniel proved it could be. So yes, we're living in a pagan world, but the Lord has left us here for a reason. You ever wonder why after you got saved, God didn't just zap you out of here, take you up to where he is? Well, he tells you in, what, in the John chapter 17, what's called the high priestly prayer of our Lord. What we call the Lord's prayer is not the Lord's prayer. That's the model prayer. The, the Lord's prayer is in John chapter 17. And in John chapter 17, verses 14 and 15, Jesus prayed to the Father, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world but that you would keep them from the evil one. <laughs> so Jesus said, the reason why I'm leaving you here is so you can be a witness for me. So that you can tell other people about Jesus. You're, you're going to be in a hostile world and they're going to hate you and they're going to do everything they can to destroy you. But you're to be a witness. You remember what he also said in, in the Sermon on the Mount? You're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. You don't put a light under a bushel or a barrel and hide it. No, you put it out to where everybody can see it. So we're living in a hostile world. People don't like Christianity. And, and, and so we, that's the second thing. Christians who live for God should expect opposition. Why are you complaining? Because people hate you or criticize you or oppose what you're doing. They're supposed to. Because they don't like you and they don't like God and they don't like Christ and they don't want to be told what to do. They don't want to be told they're doing wrong, they're sinning. That it's a sin to be a homosexual. That it's a sin to have a, 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 a transgender operation and depend, tend to be something that you're not. God made you a male. God made you a female. You stand up in the world and say opposition to that and you'll see how you get criticized and crucified. That homosexuality is abnormal. It's a sin. And Christians who live for God would expect to be opposed. 2 Timothy 3.12, indeed all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Will be. So in the days to come, we will face hostility in one form or another because of our Christian faith. Number three, God causes us to touch, can, can use us to touch unlikely people when we are faithful to him. Now, now, Odaris wasn't a believer. He wasn't a Christian, but he, he said, Oh, Daniel, has your God saved you? Has he delivered you? And old Daniel said, Yes, he has, Lord. Yes, he has. Yes, he has. So he influenced Odaris. Just like the Apostle Paul tried to influence King Agrippa. King Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. And Paul said, Agrippa, I would want God that not only you, but also all who hear my voice today would be as I am, and yet without these chains. You know, you never know. Somebody's looking at you. Somebody's watching you. They're listening to what you say and what you do. And it may just be that there's somebody out there that you can change and that you can have an influence on by your being faithful to God. The fourth and final thing, 
God always delivers in his own time and in his own way. Now, God did not deliver Daniel from having to go into the lion's den. He had to go and he went. But God protected him. God protected him. Daniel, when, when he, you know, he, he, could have, he could have stopped praying for 30 days. He didn't have to do that. He, he could have just gone to his room, closed the windows, shades, and, and, and been in private. He could have said, well, you know, it's just for 30 days. I just won't pray for 30 days. No. Daniel had decided from the very beginning that he was going to be faithful to God no matter what. And he wasn't letting a decree from the king stop him from doing what he had normally done and was a pattern of his life. Arthur Gordon was a successful author of 14 books and an experienced editor of Good Housekeeping, Cosmopolitan and Guidepost magazines and a contributor writer to such publications as Reader's Digest, Esquire, Collier's Saturday Evening Post, McCall's and Red Book magazines. On one occasion, he was asked to give the commencement address at a nearby college. And in talking to a friend, he said to him, his friend did, well, that's easy to be a commencement speaker. All you have to do is give them a foolproof formula for success. <laughs> well, he said it jokingly, but the remark stuck in Gordon's mind. And the more he thought about it, the more convinced he became that there is a foolproof formula for success available to anyone who wishes enough to recognize it and to put it to work. It is amazingly summarized in one word, integrity. Gordon wrote, a foolproof formula for success? Yes, it's foolproof. Because regardless of fame, money, power, or any of the conventional yardsticks, if you seek and find integrity, you are a success. Father God, we thank you for the example and inspiration that Daniel was and is for us in this very day. We may not have to face a lion's den or or a fiery furnace, but we find ourselves in everyday situations where, where people are hostile to the Christian faith and because we follow you are hostile to us. But help us, O oh God, give us the strength and the courage and the integrity to be a Daniel in our own day and time that you might receive the honor and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Brother Mark's gonna stand here at the front to receive any of you who have a decision to make today, whether you're in the balcony or here in the main floor or, or in the basement, if you have a decision to make in regarding to your relationship to our church or your walk with the Lord, whatever it is, Mark will be here. Uh, Andre and the choir is going to lead us. Let's stand and sing. And as we sing, you come.